Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could tune in today. Our guest today is Joel Solomon, and he has a brand new book out that I am really excited to share with you. The book is called The Clean Money Revolution, Reinventing Power, Purpose, and Capitalism. Well, that doesn't sound too hard, Joel. Really, you should try to aim a little higher, I think. (laughs) I I, I thought about adding more big topics in there, but I think that was enough. Yeah, that sounds like a huge goal, but one very worthwhile in putting our efforts into, and I'm excited to talk about this at more uh, in more detail. So let's dive right in. Joel, congratulations on your new book, and talk to us about what the term clean money means. Yes. Well, I have to be honest and say that clean money as a term for a title of the book was a struggle for me, because things are not that black and white. Uh, so, but but uh, there are reasons to uh, want to uh, uh, get attention or, or to say things in a stark enough way that uh, it generates conversation, which is the real purpose of the book. And so I would say that clean money is an awareness, it's an aspiration, it's a mindset, point of view, and it's a practice. And that practice is to think about the fact that our money Wherever it is, where do we spend it? Where do we bank? Where do we buy insurance? And if we have some savings, what do we do with them? What kind do we buy mutual funds and what's in them? And so this is about asking questions and understanding that there is a direct connection between who we are, what our values are, and what our money is doing right now, for example. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of choices that we can make, and we're early stage in this kind of thinking, translating into products, tools, and places that people can practically go for cleaner money. But there is a lot that is now underway, and what's the most important is to ask questions, consider inside how we feel, Uh, How does this align with our values? And then to gradually ask for and ultimately demand better options and better products. Well, and you know, this is so parallel with a movement that a lot of people have been engaged in, and that's the clean food movement. You know, understanding where their food comes from, who's been affected by the production of the food, how does it impact um, their own bodies, but even more so, how does the purchase of certain types of food um, relate to our ethics? And I think that this is just a, a big expansion on that very same idea. So I think a lot of our listeners are going to relate to this concept very well. Now, before we talk about how to bring about a clean money revolution, I'd like for you to paint a word picture for us describing what life might be like in 50 years from now if we're successful in making the transition that you outline in your book. Give us some specifics about what humans might look forward to on the other side of a clean money revolution. Well, the point is how can we have a cleaner, greener, more fair future economic system and a balance 
between humans and ecology and a, a way that everyone on the planet has basic, uh, basic needs covered. I believe that if we mobilize the literally trillions of dollars that are owned and exist on the planet and are growing steadily, that if we mobilize that towards long-term thinking and if, our, if we as people, if our political representatives, if companies that influence large systems uh, take this responsibility and if this becomes our ethic, this is something that I believe people of all times thought about in, in, in prior centuries uh, and, and eras, which is how do we keep the people moving forward and having a better life? So now today we're at the peak of, of the in, uh, industrial revolution and of modern society, and a lot of things have changed, particularly post-World War II, which industrialized us a lot more, globalized us, and gave us uh, te- started a technology revolution, really. So the goal is simply to be able to live peacefully and intelligently and in balance with nature. How do you do that is a big, big question. When I was born, there were two and a half billion people on the planet. Today, we're pushing well over seven billion, and many signals say that that's going to continue to grow. We are pressuring all the ecological systems, we're pressuring human systems, we're pressuring the uh, social safety net and the commons and the care of the commons. And what will happen in the future that I hope for might be uh, fairly uh, normal. (laughs) It might just be we can live peacefully and share resources appropriately and be able to continue what I might call a Garden of Eden that we, that we have, and the possibility of, of, a, of, a, of a steady, uh, functional civilization. Well, and isn't that just, you know, what everybody hopes for? And I really want to dig into how do we do that? You know, because a lot of uh, doom and gloom is out there. We know a yeah. lot of the things that are wrong with our our world today. But your book begins with a startling statistic, and that is in the next generation, 30 to $50 trillion will be passed down in the United States and Canada alone, and the global estimate is closer to 100 Hundred trillion, And you write in the book, will these riches be used to further exploit the poor and fund greater destruction of the planet, or will they be used to create a clean money future and a resilient civilization? Talk to our listeners about your hopes for that $100 trillion and who specifically you need to reach with your message in order to see those hopes come to fruition. So the $100 trillion comes from uh, a very, very rough calculation. But there's a lot of figures out uh, talking about the 30 to 50 trillion that will pass hands simply through generational, uh, through, through death, from people my age to people my uh, kids' age and grandkids. Um, and that means they're passing to a, to a different, uh, different set of values and a different life experience. So, there's enough money in the world to solve
solve all of the challenges that we're so familiar with. That's my premise. It's about the choices. It's about the policies. It's about the economic structures. And it's about how the uh, consumer systems work. So we have to be more intelligent now than perhaps we were when there were three or four billion. And we had a lot less tools that could create as much damage and negative uh, results as we have today. So if we can awaken first as individuals, then as entrepreneurs, as uh, uh, people that manage budgets for public entities, not-for-profits, not family budgets, and, and et cetera, then we make better choices about how our money is being generative and positive and, and acting in a long-term way, and to be more specific about that, that we have life cycle responsibility for where, what happens to raw materials at the other end of, the, uh, of their use. Uh, what do we do about waste and efficiency? How do we... Are, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go right ahead. Well, that's okay. Well, I, I, the, but, the, but the point is, humans have the ingenuity, the money's there, the modern times are here where we have the capacity to do a lot more damage than we could before we had a whole lot of our technological and te- technological uh, tools and, and other things that can really wreck a lot of havoc. Those might be invisible. They may be emissions that we can't see. They may be um, things that are released by... Uh, by harvest, over-harvesting, by ocean right. acidification, and these kinds of things. So the, the goal and, and the $100 trillion says, okay, so I, I talked about the, where does the 50, 30 to 50 trillion come from. Well, that number is North America. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole rest of the planet. So I just make a rough, I just make a rough uh, let's say, symbolic number of $100 trillion. People are, there are people out there smart enough who can map what this can look like in more specifics. People are mapping right now the dollars needed to solve or slow down climate change and stabilize that, that very critical aspect. And in every, every sector of the economy, we can choose for more long-term, cleaner, greener, and more fair, and we can... We can it's getting the possibility to do too gradual is changing, but we can make this the global initiative and the global goal for a generation. And mm-hmm. we, can and we sure don't need a government yeah. to do that. That's the hope that right in the hands of everyday people is the means and you know, thanks to a book like yours, the, the know-how to begin this revolution without government policy, which we all could you know, grow old and die before anything like that happens. And so we've been impatient. You know, a lot of people have been talking about the Powell memo um, lately. And, you know, we've got about a minute before we go to a quick commercial break. Just give us kind of the Reader's Digest version of how that memo in the 1970s shaped the version of capitalism that we have today. 
Well, it's basically a strategic plan, and it was a strategic plan that was about uh, government and uh, corporate corporations and the economy as a whole. And it was people with a certain point of view that was about concentrated corporate power that they believed was the right way for the the uh, world to run, and they systematically mapped the ecosystem and what would be needed to succeed at that, and they went out and invested in it and cultivated it. Ronald Reagan's presidency probably resulted from it, and we could translate forward to the current times and just say that that strategic plan has succeeded wildly, and we now can see the results. And it was basically to protect the interest of business through the influence of government officials, correct? Is that kind of the boiled down version? Well, it went beyond just influencing government. And back to your earlier statement that this is for consumers and all of us can make this change. I believe that we actually can't ignore government. It's an important part of the solution. And government is a result of us uh, to well, a that large is very degree. True. That's very true. But sometimes the public can be the tail that wags the dog when it comes to public policy. And so I think there's a multi-pronged approach that's definitely appropriate. And we'll get into that more after this quick commercial break. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific time 11 a.m eastern time on the voice america variety channel the internet's number one talk station number one talk station voiceamerica.com listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now, back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. 
Welcome back to Go Green Radio. In case you've just joined us, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Joel Solomon. He's got a brand new book out, hot off the presses, called The Clean Money Revolution, Reinventing Power, Purpose, and Capitalism. And Joel is chairman of Renewal Funds, which is a $98 million mission venture capital firm. He has himself invested in over 100 early growth stage companies in North America, uh, delivering above market returns while catalyzing positive social and environmental change. He's also a senior advisor to RSF Social Finance in San Francisco, and we are so pleased to have you on the show, Joel. So we were talking about the Powell Memo uh, right before we went to break, and when you were writing about that memo, you write about the fact that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce was a big player in Powell's agenda. But in recent years, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has put forward sustainability initiatives and they talk about climate change. Do you think that the chamber will play a role in the clean money revolution? Well, I do think that they will. And I think most of the important uh, associations, organizations and industry will do this. And there's a a very uh, compelling reason, which is what I mean by clean money revolution is the biggest opportunity for money making in in history. And, And that sounds dramatic, but what I mean by that is that if we rebuild energy systems for more renewable and long-term, if we rebuild transportation systems for more efficiency and less emissions and that type thing, and the built environment becomes uh, more more energy efficient, uh, more suited to uh, the current times, and as we go through every sector of the economy, there's an opportunity and a necessity to rebuild and reinvent. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, population growth is carrying on, affluence is growing, and our demand on the biosphere, as we might call it, is also growing. And we're smart enough to get that all balanced. That means that uh, uh, business uh, has, has a great opportunity here, and we all do, and that means that uh, organizations that represent business will start to move this direction and understand the economic prosperity that's also available. Well, and you know, I want to kind of touch on a, a subsidiary of this thought because <clears throat> for a long time, um, you know, people thought, well, it doesn't matter how you make the money. If you make a lot of money, then you can give a lot of money to good causes that are out there helping social issues and environmental issues. But what you're talking about with the clean money revolution kind of um, expands so that it matters not just what your wealth is given to, but where your wealth comes from. And I kind of want you to talk about that a little bit. Thank you. That's an important one. Well, yes, I think that, first of all, we need to know where and whom we are affecting with our money. So if I invest in a business and it is operating in other countries, and it's able to operate in ways that might be dangerous to workers or might be long-term negative impact on planet or that place, then I want to look for an alternative to that which is more advanced and is now taking responsibility to be a better, let's say, corporate or business citizen. Um, the, 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 the deeper 
point is that right now we've 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 been in an era where Matt, where our exuberance to get modern conveniences and modernize in general has we've run ahead of thinking through all the consequences and being sure that we maintain responsibility for the side effects, the externalities, as they can be called. So can you just, just guide me back, Jill, just to the point of the question? Sure. Uh, you know, it's not just enough for companies to give a lot of money, be philanthropic oh. to good causes, but that they also, yeah, that, that it, it extends beyond the outpouring of their dollars into philanthropic yes. causes, but, but to the back end, to where the money comes from in the first place. Yes. So my suggestion is, I love philanthropy. I think it's fantastic. But... Why, why would we wait? Um, Absolutely. Why would why we, would, why would we yeah. wait until much later? And then I ask the question of, well, that's a noble goal. What will you give it to? And what will you do with it? And then um, an even deeper question, for those of us that are privileged enough to be able to 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 get access to money and wealth beyond our basic needs, there's a core question, and maybe it's a spiritual question, which is, how much is enough? Mm-hmm. How, much, how much do I need to own of money to feel like I've accomplished what I need to as a human? And if I'm going to accumulate more and more and more, well, well when and how Will I distribute that through philanthropy? And will I go beyond just giving away part of the earnings while continuing to accumulate more assets? And my point is, we can do better than that. Now we're learning about the tools of all kinds of ways that while we're maintaining, being, being prudent with our investments and our savings, uh, that we can shift from, from things that are doing harm to things that are regenerative and contributing to the world that we want to see. Well, and I love that idea. It's like the life cycle of money, much like the life cycle of products that, you know, where that money comes from is is as important as where that money goes um, in in philanthropy. Now, I want to talk about some brass tax strategies that our listeners can deploy to be part of the clean money revolution. You interviewed Don Schaefer, who's the president and CEO of RSF Social Finance, and he says people should think through where their banking relationship is and do the same in terms of their investments. And I'd love for you to give us some guidance on how people can do that. Well, let's start with a question, which is when I bank with a credit union, a local bank, or a national or an international bank, where is my money going? Is any of it staying in my community? And what is it doing? What are its investments and what what happens? And therefore, what am I doing with my money through an intermediary called a bank? So for me, uh, I I just simplified that to understanding the difference between a credit union, local banks, and national and international banks. And I like to feel that I'm contributing to the community I live in. So I chose I have chosen credit unions wherever possible, 
And if there aren't credit unions that can service the needs that I have as a business person, then I want to go to local banks as much as I can. Because there are a lot of uh, studies about how a dollar can circulate around a community many, many times. But if it immediately becomes an international product and, and goes far away, then the only thing coming back to the community is when I withdraw my savings or cash out my uh, mutual funds or things like that. So just at that simple level, am I, am I employing people here? Is there a ripple effect of, uh, of what, what it means to get my mortgage at a credit union where a whole bunch of uh, members have basically put their, put their money together and lend to each other through the intermediary called the professional credit union managers. And so that's, that's a very tangible early step that we can do is just look at who's holding our money and what's happening with it. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, there are a lot of people, and I, I think this might even be most people, and they don't have a whole lot of extra money to invest. And right. when, when the average person invests in their retirement fund or in their kids' college funds, they're scrapping together what little bit they can in hopes of return on investments that will help them afford nothing more than a simple middle-class life. Um what advice do you have for these folks who want to do the right thing, but they're living paycheck to paycheck with investing, being part of their dreams and helping their kids get an education, not anything right. lofty? What well, advice well, do you have? Well, first of all, yeah, go ahead. Are you finished? Yes, I am. You done? Okay. So uh, th- this is all of us can do something. We all can choose where to shop, and we can try to understand the same principle I just said. Are we buying from someplace where the money might stay local and and that kind of thing? But I have absolute uh, respect and understanding for the fact that all of us don't have the luxury to, uh, to be affluent enough to make all the kinds of choices that I'm talking about in the book. However... Every simple choice that we make, each positive action contributes, it models, it enforces and makes more viable the, if we recycle, the recycling business has more viability. If we grow some of our own food, we're supporting uh, plant growers and, and we're uh, reducing our, our uh, carbon footprint by getting uh, food shipped thousands of miles to us. And so each action matters. And so I would, I would equate this to, I want to be a good person, and I believe most of us do want to. One of the first things I want to do is take care of my basic needs and my families, and I have aspirations beyond that. And that's part of, part of the beauty of what drives uh, the world that we're in. But I am making choices with my dollars every day. So... I still get to choose, do I want to just invest in a typical uh, mutual fund where I don't even really know what the companies are doing, I just look at the rate of return, or do I want to take some time to understand what makes up that portfolio? Well, the good news is that the demand for this kind of thinking and product is growing very rapidly now. As, as movements happen and changes in society happen, it takes a long time before you can fully see that. It's not a mass market thing until it's had a long time to incubate and ripen. But 
as happened with the clean food uh, demand, it's taken decades as I, as I was diagnosed with a, uh, a health condition uh, that, that had to do with my kidneys, and I wanted, I wanted to know what the relationship was between ingredients I couldn't understand and my kidney as the filter of my blood. So the more that I look into things like that, there are options. And my consumer dollar and desire to find those options where I'm putting something more clean into me, less, damp, less strain on my body, those generate gradually a business and then an industry. And so there's a, huge, there's a very large industry now in, for example, organic food. However, it remains dramatically below 10% of the North American food dollar and probably 1% globally. Fortunes are being made, and I can choose now with some of my stocks and bonds to buy uh, those kinds of companies, to invest in those kinds of companies. So that's just one example. That's a great example, actually. Um, We're going to take a quick commercial break, but we've got so much more to discuss with Joel and the clean money revolution, so don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones. Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. 
Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all tune in. And you know, for some of you who may be first-time listeners to Go Green Radio, I just want to remind you that this is just one part of a much bigger organization. Uh, the Go Green Initiative is actually a nonprofit organization that I founded back in 2002. We provide free training to schools around the globe, teaching them to do two things. First of all, conserve natural resources for future generations. And secondly, to protect kids' health from environmental pollutants. And so if you'd like to learn more about that organization, I want you to keep listening to us on voiceamerica.com in this Go Green Radio episode. But you can open a new tab in your web browser and go to www.gogreeninitiative.org. We'd love to have you be part of our community. Well, our guest today, in case you're just tuning in, is Joel Solomon, and he's got a brand new book out, The Clean Money Revolution, Reinventing Power, Purpose and Capitalism. And the book is a great read. It, it, inter, uh, it integrates Joel's personal journey and some of his biography and his journey towards these concepts of the clean money revolution, how he got to that place. And then it has a series of interviews with people who are involved in this revolution in one way or another. And not only do they answer some of the, the big strategic questions about what the ramifications of a clean money revolution will be, but also some very practical tips that we can all take in order to be a part of it, whether it's with small dollars or if we have more dollars to invest. And I really love that practicality um, about the book. And Joel, you interviewed Jose Corona, who's the director of equity and strategic partnerships under um, Oakland's mayor, Libby Schaefe. Um, And you asked him, what are some of the solutions or lessons for people interested in equitable, prosperous outcomes for inner cities and other communities? And I'd love for you to talk to us about his answer to that question. Okay. Well, first, a shout out to Jose, a very dynamic and committed individual working uh, in the East Bay on these issues. It's great to see that he's ended up in a mayor's office. I'm going to read just a, a, a bit of this to uh, get it across. So people tend to hire people that have the same values as them or that look like them. Lack of diversity is no surprise. We all see it every day. But in Oakland now, there's a real opportunity for a new approach. We want to lead with our values, nurturing diversity, the artist community, the nonprofit community, the whole spectrum. The solutions are about bringing businesses and government together on that. We're working with a group of high-level CEOs from Salesforce to PG&E, energy company, beneficial state bank, and we're leveraging their private investments to advance what we care about here, which is equitable jobs, creating and maintaining affordable housing, building a safe, holistic community. These are the things that business cares about. So the point is that as you express values and you begin to institutionalize them and regularize them, things change. And that's what Jose is about. Well, and what I love about Oakland's approach to this, and I actually live 20 minutes from Oakland, so I get to see this up close and personal, is that they've created a very successful model of private-public partnership where businesses who say, we care about people, we care about community, well, they get invited in to the mayor's office, and the mayor says, well, guess what? 
We share that. We have that in common. Now, what does that look like in terms of your investments in this community? And it's been really exciting to see that happen. And actually, that began even under... Well, he's our governor now, Governor Brown, but when Jerry Brown was, yeah, when he was the mayor of Oakland, um, even though he is considered, you know, a, a fairly left of center Democrat um, and, and people think, oh, well, that means they're anti-business. Not at all. He's so practical. And he brought the business community to the table and said, we need to work on things like getting people jobs who live here, improving housing for workers who live and work here, you know, some really practical things to make the community better. And we all got to really see Oakland turn around with just that kind of formula. Now, you have a chapter in the book called Looking, or Through the Looking Glass, and you write about two organizations, Threshold and so- Social Venture Network. And you, you talk about something that I thought was really interesting. You say that money is a form of energy. And I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about those two organizations, but even more importantly, what you mean when you say money is a form of energy. Well, I think I'll start with that part and say that money, where does money come from? Well, it's a symbol for the exchange of goods and services and human labor. In the beginning, uh, people who, who lived close to the land were trading things. My, I have salt in my region, you have copper in your region, we have fish here, and we get together in the good weather and trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, those things represent an incredibly complex system. Salmon and the evolution of salmon, uh, and then the harvest of salmon, the eating of salmon, the, what happens to the, to the waste product, and how does the cycle work? So in many ways to me, what we harvest from the earth, be it through people's labor or through substances or plants and animals, etc., minerals, those represent eons of of the of the, of ecology creating itself and and uh, advancing. And so, there's also intention. What are how are we using these things and for what purposes? So when you combine all that, they represent literally. Uh, labor and perhaps manufacturing and travel and moving goods and services, but they also embody the essence of whatever this is, which we call life. And and uh, so that's the form of energy. We're actually trading parts of the planet and people, and we mm-hmm. and when we boil it down to a dollar bill. Well, that now, makes thresh- perfect sense. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And, and it's an exchange between people. You can watch one dollar move all around a community, and there is an energy to that. The person who exchange, you know, somebody's passing it on in exchange for something, and someone else is getting it, and then they can make a choice what to do with it. Mm-hmm. But if you'd like me to, I'll just do a moment on these organizations. Sure. They happen. They happen. One is focused on questions of philanthropy. That's Threshold Foundation, where. It, it started with people that were finding this, this kind of growing trend of affluence spreading and then inheriting money from their family and maybe or maybe not being prepared to know what to do with that responsibility so that it aligned with who they are as people and their values. And Social Venture Network actually spun out of uh, Threshold, partially with the same founders, 
which were a group of us that wanted to talk about the same kinds of issues with business and investments. Mm-hmm. So those organizations were very important to me, and they spawned a lot of things. In themselves, that's, the point is just networks and places where we can exchange ideas, places where we can learn, and places where we can learn from each other and see models and be inspired by them, now happen in all kinds of walks of life. And for those of us that are actively engaged in, in the, beyond working for a wage and then figure, you know, supporting our families, but where we actually are part of, let's call it the 10%. We know about the 1%. In the United States and in Canada, where I, I split my time, the 1% is 3.8 million people. The 10% is 38 million people. So this is not everybody, but that is a, that's a lot of people who do have uh, the ability to use those forms of energy in creative ways or in ways that really represent what they believe in and care about. Well, and that's a perfect segue into the next question that I wanted to ask you about investing, because uh, you write about an interview that you had with Fran Siegel, who is the Chief Investment Officer and Managing Director at Impact Assets. And she mentioned some recent communiques from Larry Fink and Warren Buffett that indicate a real title shift in investing. Talk to us about what these two financial gurus are saying about impact investing. The, the signals are just so many that there is, is a movement growing. And Fran is one of the experts uh, since, since uh, the book. She's, she's taken a different position. But she is, she is someone who really studies the macro side of economics and pays attention to Wall Street trends and those kinds of things. So we're seeing many statements and actions by people like Larry Fink, who runs BlackRock, which is the largest asset manager in the world. Mm-hmm. And he is saying, he is saying, in public stocks, we have to take into account environmental, social, and governance standards now. We can no longer ignore these kind of basic behavior of corporations and values. We have to because the consumer is demanding it. And we have to for the greater good. But he's talking very pragmatically. So they're creating products to do that. Warren Buffett uh, famously said, environmental factors and stakeholder value are intimately connected. Now you can go through Warren Buffett's investments and critique it just like you can mine and your own. But these trendsetters and people that are influencing many, not only their own billions of dollars, but they're listened to and they influence the market. And so the summary of this point is there is something underway which is not all the way visible yet, just like organic food 15, 20 years ago. But it's moving into a phase of rapid growth, and that will change the, the, the face of uh, basic investment opportunities. That's exciting. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but we have so much more to discuss. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Bye. 
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific. 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us. Our guest today is Joel Solomon, and he's got a brand new book out called The Clean Money Revolution, Reinventing Power, Purpose, and Capitalism. And you can find out a lot more about Joel and the book if you go to his website. It's www.joelsolomon.org. That's J-O-E-L-S-O-L. O-M-O-N.org. Joel, so excited to have you on the show. You know, I would really love for you to talk about something that's been in the news a lot, and that is this trend of divesting from fossil fuels. Um, Student groups are doing it. Universities are doing it. Others are as well. What is that divestment doing um, to shift us to a clean money system? The divestment movement is part of a larger set of activities that cause large societal changes over time. Uh, the, these, these things happen through history. And it starts with, again, each of us waking up to a, a realization that we want our money to represent us in the world with the values, meaning, and purpose that our lives are about. There's no reason that we need to have that separate. So when major issues like apartheid in South Africa uh, and, and now climate, uh, whatever you think of, of the scientific details of climate, many, many people believe and are highly concerned about the effects, uh, n- not even that long term now, on the choices that our economy has become. Uh, I don't know if anyone specifically made those choices. So we have these periods in history where we start to wake up to these issues. So when people, like students, see that the endowment of their university is invested in companies 
that are driving climate change, and they're very concerned about what does climate change mean for them when they're the age of me in my 60s, and what will happen for their children, and what will happen for their future. They don't have that many options of what to do about it. They're, one of the ways you, that people can affect big systems is to organize around certain behaviors or certain choices. So boycotts are one of those. Divestment says the endowment money of my university is invested in things that I think are damaging my future. But they're invested to help me have the school. This trade-off I can no longer do. And we believe uh, that there are products and alternatives to this. And it's, and it's up to the, you, the school, to look out better for our futures in a whole system way. So, you, so uh, students can uh, get fired up and uh, organize a lot of uh, themselves and put pressure on the trustees to say, we, we want to be part of a school that thinks about these things and invests in our future, not just with the scholarship money or the education that I'm getting, but with the large amounts of money that you're holding in order to create income to do those scholarships. So then it goes from students and it starts to reach charitable foundations and wealthy people and other people who share those values and the pressure starts to mount on whatever system they're focused on and steadily we get change like the fall of apartheid, like the civil mm-hmm. rights movement and and on. Absolutely. Well, and it's kind of taking the power of the purse to a whole new level. For a long time, we've talked about, you know, being a conscious consumer and the products that you buy, knowing that, you know, that they were created with fair labor practices and, you know, they are not environmentally destructive. And that's still important. I mean, that's still something we all need to be be paying attention to. But this takes it to a, a whole new level of, you know, when you talk about who you're banking with and where they invest their money and you know your your school endowment and where they are investing their money um it's it's exciting to see you know this go to the next level now you asked in your book you wrote about an interview with danny kennedy and he's the co-founder of sungevity incorporated and now he's the managing director of the california clean energy fund and you asked him a really great question you said can the rise of clean energy actually help with wealth disparity and income inequality and i'd love for you to talk Talk to us about what he said to you when you ask him that question. Well, th- uh, another large and, and, and complex uh, question. But the point is that where you direct, where major systems direct resources and where the benefits of those resources go are actually choices that happen. You could compare it to the education system and does all the money go into affluent neighborhoods or does how much money goes into more challenged neighborhoods? And so there are ways to have energy ownership be start to move outside of large concentrated utilities and utility companies that can uh, get attached to the way that they've been producing energy and can fight hard not to have to go through the disruption to shift let's say, from fossil fuels to renewables. So part of what Danny's work is, is to see that capital comes into less resourced communities to start to bring down energy costs for people who have less money. So 
so you can make the choice and you can create a huge system out in the desert of solar collection and there will be lots of those. You can create a huge wind farm. You can also go rooftop by rooftop and get basically free energy once you've built the infrastructure. And Danny first was involved in a business that was built around uh, uh, effectively leasing people's rooftops to create solar energy which of which there is excess that goes back into the grid often and to give people a chance at ultimately no cost to get off of more expensive energy and make their own. And so Danny's now translating that into, as I said, communities that maybe are the most uh, challenged and the difference that it can make for someone on low income to reduce their utility bill is is gigantic, and it opens mm-hmm. up all kinds of possibilities. So that's the gist of it. Well, and the other thing that I always think about, too, and the thing that I love the most about clean energy and the um, just the, the way that it's taking hold is that those are domestic jobs. You can't send your roof over to China to have solar panels installed. Um, you know, by definition, now, of course, we know that some of the hardware is being manufactured elsewhere, although there are companies um, that I support that are manufacturing the hardware of solar and wind and geothermal right here in America. America, and I love that the most. Um, but a lot of the jobs that are created with clean energy are not overseas; they're domestic. And um, furthermore, you know, as a former naval officer, I love the fact that it doesn't require keeping the Straits of Hormuz protected by the United States Navy in order to, you know, put in clean energy, which is another, you know, issue of social impact that that we have to think about. So, um, I think there's lots of ways that clean energy and the rise of clean energy deals with wealth disparity and income inequality in America. Um, right. we, we have a few moments left in the show, and I want to give you a chance to leave some final thoughts with our listeners. Joel, you have so much wisdom to share. What final thoughts would you like to leave with us? Well, I want to remind us, especially myself, to consider that my name is on my money. And what it does is actually on behalf of me. And I have some responsibility about that. I mentioned earlier that we live in a time where our capacity to do damage that might affect the long-term future in a very negative way is large, bigger than ever before in human existence because of technology and the tools that it's created. We are the people that are creating the future for those who come next. Each of us, in some way or another, is contributing to that. And as I like to say, we are ancestors of the future. Mm. And this, this, was, this was normal thinking, I believe, when people lived closer to the land. How do we see future generations go forward? So we're ancestors, and we... I think in our heart would like to be responsible ancestors and be great ancestors. And that means that. that we're thinking about things that are for the greater good of the future. And the last thing I say about it is those people in the future will be studying this period very closely. Yes, they will. We, we have had choices and we've made a lot of choices and we probably, hopefully, well still said, have time Joel. to make new choices. 
you know, we've got to take a break and we've got to leave the show. But thank you so much, Joel. That was great to, to end the show with. Thank you all to our listeners. We'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Get some terrific ideas from today's show. Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.